it's right to be speaking a different language from everyone else. Plus, they're kids. You can't give them formal classes or lecture them on Vietnam's culture and history. V's strategy so far has been to tell her kid stories in Vietnamese and talk to the kid in Vietnamese in an everyday sort of way whenever no one else is around. She believes all this will just build up over time to allow her kids, like her sisters, to at least understand. Her kids also belong to a younger generation than their cousins. This generation is filled with half-Vietnamese Taiwanese people just like her kids, people who will grow up proud of both sides of their heritage. I am John Van Trieste, still a little starstruck here, and I'll see you again next week. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. And today, my guest is Amanda Harvey, who is the founder of You and Me Taiwan. She's also a communications coach and a real lover of Taiwan. She's been in Taiwan 17 years now, and she's got three lovely kids. So let's meet Amanda. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Shirley. Yes. Great to see you. Yes, good to meet you. I guess I'll just start with asking, what is You and Me Taiwan? Okay. Um, you know, it can be anything. Yes, it can. <laughs> With a name uh, like that. Yes. Well, it's basically the principle of the company is a platform where I can connect with groups of people, companies or individuals within Taiwan with a focus on helping them with their international communications. Oh. So that's something that I've been involved in for a very long time, um, training and coaching, providing seminars, workshops and things like that. Um, specifically helping people with things like cross-cultural communications and team building and problem solving, creative thinking, all those kinds of things that can raise the level of people's communication skills. And I think especially because in Taiwan, English is not most people's first language. So mm -hmm. that also is an important component of um, helping people to raise their ability to be part of the international community. Yeah, um, you know that Taiwan has the goal of becoming a bilingual country by the year 2030. Yes, you know that, right? I yeah. do know that, and I'm really excited about that, and I would love to find as many ways as possible that I can be helpful um, in achieving that goal. Oh, wonderful. I mean, we need people like you so much. Right, you know? we definitely need good plans and programs and ways of integrating things into people's lives. Yeah, so... um. Actually, what you just described about you and me, Taiwan, that's, that encompasses a lot of things, yes, which is does. like so useful. And it's actually, mm -hmm. communication is a very important part of everybody's life. Really? Because when it comes to work, you know, uh, work relationships, yes. getting a job, I yes. mean, it's everything, right? Yes. Yeah, and personal it's not, lives as well, you know, right. connecting with people, forming relationships. And yeah, it's not just being good at English. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> language is one thing, but even in your own native language, you know, there's different situations that call for different kinds of communication techniques. Yeah. Different scenarios in business or in relationships. And oh. um, it's definitely more than just language. 
That is right. Now, um, I, I don't know if my listeners have picked up, but with that accent, you're from yes, Australia. I am from Australia. It's <laughs>、okay. not a super strong accent. I no, it isn't. Think, it but isn't. But I still got it. <laughs> Where in Australia are you from? I'm from Sydney, which、oh, is、okay. a beautiful city. Yeah, yeah, that is right. And so, why why did you study communications? It's something I've always been extremely interested in. I've always been interested in the way that people think and the way that people interact with each other.、Uh-huh. Since childhood, I've been quite、um, focused on areas such as mindset, personal development, and that's always been really a passion of mine. So, and I think you know, if there's anything that I can choose to do as part of my Career and also just part of my personal life, you know, talking to people, connecting with people is something that I really love to do.、Huh. So it just really made sense for me to be involved in areas that can help me to do that. Have you been a speaker on TED Talk? No, I haven't, <laughs> but I really I would think, like to. Yes, because <laughs>、yes. you speak so well,、oh, and and you. and you know,、um, I mean, what you do、mm-hmm. is really important, and then、yes. it can be useful to、yes. to people. Anyway, apparently you've traveled all over the place before you end up here in Taiwan. I have. I've been in quite a few countries, right? And、um, then finally found my second home, which obviously is is Taiwan. I've been here for a long. Long time, but、yeah. yes, before so, that. That's so interesting. I mean, what was it about you that you wanted to that you liked traveling so much? Because apparently, you were leading some kind of nomadic life, you know, before you settled in Taiwan. Yes, <laughs> yes, I was、right. for a number and, of years. Yeah, where was the first place you went to after? You you left Australia when I left Australia, and that was after college. A year, well, a few years after.、Okay. Yes, and、yeah. you just I was you... around twenty seven, and I just married my husband. Oh, okay, then... you were already married then. Yes,、yeah. we got married in Australia, and then we went together to Europe for a few years, and we、Which、spent had... some time in、yeah. the UK. We also spent most of our time in Portugal and some time in Spain and France. Oh my、and、goodness! All those places I want to go. I mean, I've been、wonderful. to France. Yes,、um, that's about it. But yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. wow! Did you go to Europe with like a job? I mean, you know, for me, I think like if you travel so much, you must already have an idea of where income comes from if you do travel like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. That's definitely a consideration.、Um, I think you know, at that stage, my husband and I both had. Some connections in Europe, and we also had a lot of experience. He had a lot of business experience, and I was helping him with that as well. Oh, okay. He also has been involved in training and things like that, corporate training. So we had some possible opportunities that we could pursue once we got to Europe, and we did do that、um, for the time that we were there. We、uh, did some, you know, contracting and some different types of work here and there, consulting. So,、um, but actually, at that time, we didn't find necessarily exactly the kind of thing that we wanted to do long term. So it didn't become a kind of a permanent career, but it was definitely some great experience that we got there,、oh, in、okay. terms of business as well as just in terms of it was an amazing time in our lives. Yeah, and, yeah,、uh, yeah. We bought a, a motorbike and we spent two months、um, driving on the motorbike through three countries: France, <laughs> Spain, and Portugal. And that,、oh, was, that just, was a time when you guys just wanted to just we travel. We were basically. 
just having fun yeah. more than anything. Yeah, we hadn't really like made a very concrete plan. Um, I guess that's like, you know, the difference between then and now is that I've been doing a lot of different types of consulting work over the years. And But one reason that I really wanted to open the company, You and Me Taiwan, is that I wanted a more concrete way um, that I could really be involved in a lot of interesting projects and just to be able to make it um, a more structured kind of part of my life. And also to be doing it, especially in Taiwan, because prior to that, I was actually doing more traveling. I was doing um, quite a bit of training and consulting in Macau and Hong Kong oh. while I was living in Taiwan. Um, but then having the company just to give myself the opportunity to be able to do more things in Taiwan as well. Oh, okay. Primarily. Were you traveling a lot with this job though? With the I mean, job that I have now? Well, of course not because with COVID you couldn't right, travel. No, actually. You can really do this online, right? Yes, some of what I'm doing is online and um, a lot of it has been actually just in Taipei um, okay. and also in the Ilan area. One thing that I have done over the last couple of years is to host groups of people in the Ilan area oh. for workshops and okay. activities and things like that. So oh, okay. it doesn't necessarily involve a lot of travel, which is a good thing right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, it is a good thing. So most of your clients are Taiwanese then? Yes. I get it. And it's all conducted in English. Yes, it is. Right. So yes. it's like training their English listening yes. while, you know, conducting the communication skills and things like that. Right. Oh, wow. Right. Okay. It's definitely multifaceted. Um, yes. Yeah. 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 They, they, they get their worth, you know. Yes. Um, wow. And it's, it's, it's okay. It's a goal-oriented workshop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. They want to make sure they get, you know, all the good out of this. Well, I can see that. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. Right, you live in Yilan. Yes, I do. How do you get to Taipei? You drive or? I tend to avoid driving. Okay. I don't don't personally love the traffic in Taipei that much. I drive when I'm around Yilan, but I much prefer to just jump on a bus and I can relax and put on my headset and yeah. just uh, yeah have some time. Oh, wow. Mm. It's so awesome. Because, well, anyway, for our listeners, Yilan is like about an hour, less than an hour drive less away. Less than an hour, really. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But so, so you know, so Amanda's not exactly in Taipei City. So she traveled all the way from Yilan to, to get to the interview. But I actually do come to Taipei usually about three or four days a week. So, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm quite used to it. I'm kind of a commuter. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Yilan is really not that far. A it's lot of people. Not. Even no. for Taipeiers, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, if it's like a short little weekend yes. away, Yilan is the place to go. It it's really so convenient. Is. It yeah. is. It's a fantastic place to come. Yeah. And a lot of people that I know, a lot of my friends that live in Yilan also commute and oh, work really? in Taipei because Yilan is a fantastic place to live. Yes. But there's not that much work opportunity. No, no, no. So right. really, I think a lot of people have the same feeling that I do, that they want to have the relaxed outdoor yes. lifestyle of where they live. But then yeah. obviously that was actually one of the criteria when we chose to move. When we first came to Taiwan, we lived in Taipei for four years. Oh, okay. But then at that point, we had two small children. And having come from Australia, where we're used to a lot of wide open spaces and pretty fresh, 
fresh air. We just felt that we would like that for our kids. That sounds like yeah. such a good idea. Yeah. Um, we, John we, and my husband, John, and yes. I might do that. We're already empty oh, nesters. Welcome, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it's a short drive. So, yeah. Totally know, my husband it. drives. I don't yes. drive. So, you yeah, know, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it was a short drive, through the, especially through the snow tunnel. Right. Yeah, it's, it's not so really that hard. It's so convenient. Yeah, no. tunnel. Yeah. Anyway, so about you and me, Taiwan. Right. Um, so you can actually, um, you know, hold workshops in Yilan, yes. which is a great place for these Taipei yes. clients, yes. you know, to get away from the city yes. and, and go to a workshop in Yilan and get all the worth, you know, right. from the workshop. Right. That is really neat. Now, now I understand why you actually have your YouTube channel, yes. is that actually you can have these workshops done online where that you've already pre-recorded mm-hmm. some of the workshops, some of the lessons is that, that is a possibility. Uh, yeah. It's not something that not we've yet. actually done yet. Ah. Um, what I have been doing is conducting some workshops using Zoom, ah. and then people can actually attend virtually yes. from wherever they are. Is, is that difficult, doing it on Zoom than doing it in person? Isn't I it a little different? I prefer in person. I really do. I, I like doing things in person. Um, yeah. I feel that it's a different energy and totally different dynamics, and you can – do a lot more activity, but it is another way mm-hmm. and it can work for certain types of groups and sessions. It is definitely a possibility as well. Well, I'm curious, mm-hmm. what limits you with mm-hmm. your workshop doing it on Zoom as opposed to in person? Well, what are some limitations? It's harder to get people together into groups, um, yeah. to get people to connect with each other. In know, person, you, do... you can move around. You know, if I've got a group of 50 people, I might have them in five groups of 10, and then I'll get them to change around and get them to pair off. And so that's definitely. So you not, couldn't do that? Not really. No, yeah. So not then really. how did it you... is definitely more difficult. I haven't, you know, the things that I've done online using Zoom are more personal things where, especially like mindset training, which is something that I do with people, not only in Taiwan, but people mm. around the world, yeah. um, that we actually get together and people come to the session with their own personal goal for that session. So it might be, for example, um, that they want to improve their physical fitness. Wait but- a minute, they come to you? Not to help them improve their physical <laughs> fitness, to help them improve their attitude to that. Oh my so, goodness, that's part. That's yeah, your job too. Mindset training. So basically, mindset. people could have a whole lot of things. Um, you know, some people their goal might be to find a romantic relationship. Some people might have the goal to find a new direction in their career. And I don't actually get involved with the practicalities of that. So I don't. I wouldn't think so. (laughs) No, especially not, you know, using Zoom. I mean, some things, you know, I've done types of training, like, you know, parenting, coaching and stuff like that. There's a lot of things that I have done over the years. Um, But this mindset training is basically for somebody to take something that is a goal for them at that particular moment um, and to focus on that and to look at the reasons why they may not be making the progress that they want to make. Uh So some people, for example, somebody that wants to be physically fit but finds that they tend to keep making excuses and things like that, just kind of helping them to pinpoint what the things are in their mental attitude and with relationships as well. I mean, that's definitely, you know, people that are having trouble maybe finding a romantic relationship. There's almost always a lot of things in their thought process, in their beliefs that are really getting in their way Hmm. of actually succeeding in what they want, you know, so believing that all the good ones are taken and, you know, things (laughs) like that Mm -hmm. uh, and just helping them to look at 
how those beliefs are actually holding them back and how to change them. Well, what you just described, why does it make me think that you got to have a background of psychology? Well, to do I've, that. I've done a lot of study. I mean, my whole life, you know, even as a teenager, I was really, I was always in the self-help section of the bookstore. So it's something that I've studied a little bit in my actual studies, but mostly self-taught um, and something that I've studied over the years. And I am very, very interested in psychology as well. And that's, I've actually written a couple of books over the years, um, and one of my books is actually quite psychology related. Oh, and okay. I had that published in Australia in uh-huh. the year two thousand, oh. um, and then republished it again. If you find Amanda Harvey's life just as fascinating as I do, then make sure you tune in next week on In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. <laughs> Classic shorts, poems, and stories from Chinese literature. Hello and welcome to Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie So. Today we're going to hear the autumn meditations of the great Tang Dynasty poet Du Fu. The latter years of his life were full of unrest due to the El Lusan Rebellion, which began in 755. The rebellion led to the decline of the great Tang dynasty and led to over half of the population being killed or displaced in just eight years. It was a time of unrest and unhappiness for Du Fu as well. But some say this time of struggle was the making of him as a poet. During the rebellion, the emperor Xuanzong was forced to flee the capital and abdicate, and Du Fu tried to join the court of the new emperor but he was captured by the rebels and taken to Tang'an. He later escaped Tang'an and rejoined the court in 757. But during his time in the court, the emperor didn't listen to his advice and demoted him to commissioner of education, which he did not enjoy. In one of his poems, he said, I'm about to scream madly in the office, especially when they bring more papers to pile higher on my desk. Perhaps some people can relate to his sentiments. He decided to move on from that post, and the meditations that we're going to read today are from his latter years, when he was in ill health and thinking about his life and all that he's seen. Today we look at his series, Autumn Meditations. These are among his last collection of poems, which he wrote when, during the unrest, he took his family to live near the Yangtze River, near modern-day Chongqing. Meditation 5. Pong Lai Imperial Palaces faces the southern hill. A golden stem to catch the dew is high up in the sky. Gazing west, the Queen Mother descends at the Jade Lake. From the east, Han Pass is filled with purple vapor. 
Like shifting cloud, the pheasant-tailed screens of the palace open. Bathed in sun of dragon scales, I know the holy face. Now I lie by this cold river, amazed the year is so late. How many times by the blue chains was I there in the morning court? Meditation number six. The mouth of the Kutan Gorge, the bank of the bending river, ten thousand miles of wind and mist, join them in pale autumn. Through Calyx Hall's hidden passage, the imperial aura passed. Now the little lotus park is filled with border sorrows. Pearls on curtains, embroidery on pillars. Around the yellow cranes, from brocade hawsers and ivory masts, rise the white gulls. I turn my head, sad now, for the place of song and dance. Qing has been since olden days the land of emperors. Meditation 7. The waters of Kunming Lake were made in the time of Han. Banners and flags of the martial emperor are still in my mind's eye. The weaver girl's loom and thread are idle beneath the night's moon. The stone whale's scales and armor move in the autumn wind. Waves toss the wild rice seeds Black clouds sink, dew chills the lotus pod, red powder falls. Between the passes at the end of the sky, only birds can travel. Rivers and lakes fill this land. There's one old fisherman. Autumn Meditation 8 From Kyun U. Yusu River winds round and round. Purple Tower Mountain's shadow enters Maypee Lake. Fragrant rice pecking, leaving surplus parrots, grains. Emerald Utong perching, growing old. Phoenixes, branches. Beautiful women gather green feathers talk to each other in spring. Immortal companions share a boat, move on in the evening. My colored brush in olden days captured the image of life. My white head drones and gazes, bitterly hanging low. Those are the autumn meditations of the great Tang Dynasty poet, do fool. Thanks for tuning in to Classic Shorts.
Welcome to News Playlist. I'm Paula Chow, the program host. The U.S. State Department has approved the sale of 100 Harpoon Coastal Defense Systems to Taiwan, with a price tag of 2.37 billion U.S. dollars. The U.S. State Department has approved the sale of 100 Harpoon Coastal Defense Systems to Taiwan. The package still has to be approved by Congress. The Defense Ministry spokesperson thanked the U.S. State Department, saying that the weapons can strengthen Taiwan's combat and asymmetrical warfare capabilities. He said they will help upgrade the military's overall defense capabilities. The new arms package includes 100 Harpoon missiles worth 2.37 billion U.S. dollars. This is the fourth arms package that the U.S. has announced for Taiwan in a week. It's also the ninth for the Trump administration. Defense International senior editor Song Yuning says that in turbulent times, the missiles can be used for anti-ship missions. It allows Taiwan to protect its waters and can complement indigenous Xiongfeng anti-ship missiles to meet the challenges of defense against the PLA. Taiwan is not only buying new weapons, the military is also undergoing combat readiness week exercises. People could see tanks on the streets of Danshui, north of Taipei. The defense ministry said the aim is to use real soldiers, weapons and terrain to train for real combat. Natalie So, RTI News. With increased threats from China in recent weeks, Taiwan's military is in combat readiness in case of a real war. What's a Black Hawk helicopter doing in an open field next to a high-speed rail station? Not long after, an Apache attack helicopter lands in the same place. It turns out that these helicopters are taking part in a series of nationwide exercises being dubbed Combat Readiness Week. Soldiers are practicing a range of actions and maneuvers, from filling helicopter gas tanks to replenishing military supplies while their vehicles are in motion on the ground. All soldiers must also learn to carry a warhead that can weigh as much as 40 kilograms on their shoulders. Drills are taking place in civilian areas, including on city streets throughout Taiwan. The idea is to prepare for actual wartime scenarios. Preparedness pays and the armed forces are leaving nothing to chance. Shirley Lin, RTI News. More than 100 Chinese boats gather in the waters near the outlying Taiwanese islands of Mazu about two weeks ago. Although the islands are very close to China, the fishing boats, cargo ships, and dredgers had entered restricted waters administered by Taiwan. It looks like we're surrounded. Those are the words of a man who watches as more than a hundred Chinese boats gather in waters near the Taiwanese islands of Mazu. Taiwan's Coast Guard tells the ships that they've entered restricted waters and orders them to disperse. These ships began to gather in the early hours of Sunday morning between the islands of Nangan and Zhuguang. The Coast Guard informs the ships that they will use water cannons to drive them away. But on Monday, Premier Su Zhentang tells residents of Taiwan's outlying islands not to worry. 
The government will leave no stone unturned when it comes to protecting Taiwan's territory, he says. From the beginning of 2019 through the end of this September, Taiwan confiscated six Chinese boats and auctioned them off for 5.2 million U.S. dollars, slapping the owners with $245,000 in fines. The government says it will strengthen maritime patrols and apprehend boats illegally entering Taiwan's waters. Andrew Ryan, RTI News. This is News Playlist, a weekly rundown of some of the most interesting news reports brought to you by RTI. Watch along on YouTube if you like, or close your eyes and enjoy these stories by way of sound. With the COVID-19 pandemic, dreams of taking vacations abroad were dashed for many Taiwanese this year. However, there's still a way to experience being on a plane. How about learning how airplane meals are prepared? That's the experience offered by Taiwan's second biggest airline. Just because you can't fly abroad in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, it doesn't mean you can't eat airline food. Starting October 17th, every Saturday, EVA Airways is letting people learn how to make airline meal-side dishes, like salads. You also learn to make their signature beef noodle soup dish at their central kitchen. If cooking is not your thing, you can taste first-class meals without even flying. The meals are prepared by Taiwan's China Airlines and can be enjoyed at a hypermart. People can choose from Hungarian goulash, Thai curry, and other dishes. Japan Airlines has also linked up with Taipei's Hotel Royal for a two-meal package that includes a one-night stay at the hotel. You can enjoy all the signature dishes offered on the airline's flights to your heart's delight. Shirley Lin, RTI News. The Penghu Islands are set to host a marathon like no other Sunday. There will, of course, be plenty of good exercise and beautiful views of the ocean. But what will make this event really unique will be the gastronomic offerings runners can sample along the route. On Sunday, the Penghu Islands off Taiwan's west coast will be filled with runners. On that day, the islands will host the 2020 Gaylardia Islands Cross Sea Marathon. Maybe not the easiest name in the world to say, but to those in the know, a name that should get mouths watering. Yes, there will be spectacular views of the sea, but there will also be spectacular seafood. The lobster served at refueling stations set up for runners have earned this marathon the nickname Lobster Marathon. And in case you don't get enough lobster while completing the run, you may be able to get even more once you cross the finish line, if you win the race anyway. The champion is supposed to receive 32 lobsters. That's a lot of seafood to get through. Hopefully the champion runner is a fast eater too. John Van Trieste, RTI News. Last week, we had a story about how an AI system can quickly interpret ECG results. Now, a research team at National Taiwan University is leading the world in quickly detecting possible strokes using innovative non-invasive AI-assisted imaging technology. A test with this technology takes five minutes, costs 10 U.S. dollars or less, and has an accuracy rate of over 90 percent. It starts with a photo of a patient's neck. Then over the course of five minutes, a new Taiwanese machine analyzes everything from heart arrhythmia and carotid artery stenosis. 
The object of all this analysis is to see whether the patient may be having a stroke. Carotid artery stenosis is crucial to detecting the onset of a stroke, as it will change the blood fluid dynamics. Professor Xiao Haoming, the leader of the team behind this machine, says that changes to blood fluid dynamics can be seen from changes in patients' pulses. As a result, an imaging analysis can be used to tell part patients who may be having a stroke and those who aren't. Dr. Gao Xianli, a cardiology specialist, says it costs about 200 to 300 Taiwan dollars to get tested. The accuracy rate of the testing is 90 percent higher than existing standards, and the technology can be used for early detection. There is no need to wait until things get worse or symptoms develop. And that's all we have for this week's edition of News Playlist. For any comments or suggestions, you may write to rti at rti.org.tw. For Radio Taiwan International, I'm Paula Chow. See you next week. Bye-bye. The Overseas Community Affairs Council is encouraging overseas journalists to report on the contributions Taiwanese have made to the world so that the world can see Taiwan. The OCAC is launching the Chinese Language Journalism Award for Overseas Media. Journalists can compete for two awards, the Print and Digital Report Award and the Broadcast Report Award. Entries that showcase in-depth professional reporting have the chance to win 2500 U.S. dollars. The deadline is November 30th. Go to www.ocac.gov.tw for details. We really appreciate all of our medical staff, including Doctor's Hospital. Of course, some of the medical staff from other hospitals they always join us our overseas medical work and also our counterparts in those of countries. So all of their contribution to make us to receive the award. Hello and welcome to this week's On the Line brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. The Overseas Medical Mission Center of Changhua Christian Hospital or CCH was set up as an NGO in 2008 to help those in need of medical assistance overseas. The center has provided assistance to more than 14 countries ever since. In mid-October this year, the Overseas Medical Mission Center of Changhua Christian Hospital was awarded the Outstanding Contribution Award for Medicine and Public Health by Taiwan's Foreign Ministry. And joining us on our show today is the CEO of Overseas Medical Mission Center of Changhua Christian Hospital, Dr. Nina Gao Xiaoling. First of all, Dr. Gao Xiaoling, congratulations on winning the Outstanding Contribution Award in the field of medicine and public health. The only hospital in Taiwan right now to be awarded with such honor. Can you share with us more about this contribution and the award winning? Yeah, thank you. I think it's our great honor to award the Outstanding Contribution Award in the field of medicine and public health, which is presented by MOFA. 
It means that CCH, the Down Cushion Hospital, our overseas uh, medical works, were recognized by the government. This is really um, happy to us. And we really appreciate all of our medical staff, including uh, Down Cushion Hospital. Of course, some of the medical staff from other hospitals, they always join us, our overseas medical works. And also our counterparts in those of countries, because each of the projects, if project will be successful, we need the very good counterparts. So all of their contribution to make us to uh, receive the, the award and also make our project successful. So I think we will continue to do our best and to do our efforts on the international cooperation and development in the future. Yeah. So good teamwork, great counterparts uh, in different countries in the world. And you think that you also share the honor with all these uh, staff members uh, in different parts of the world as well. Yeah, sure. They are very important for me. <laughs> <laughs> now, the Overseas Medical Mission Center of uh, Zhanghua Christian Hospital was established back in 2008 to help yeah. those in need outside Taiwan. Now, what do you think after winning this award is the greatest achievement since its inception? Um, actually, Summer Christian Hospital officially to launch their overseas medical cooperation program since 2008. So, TL now is, I think it's over 20 years. Um, we step by step to build up our capacity. I think until now, we already conduct over 150 projects. Yeah, if I remember, my remember is correct. And projects that in Asia, Africa, Caribbean regions as well. So I think our um, great achievement um, during the 20 years has two parts for me, for internal and for external. For internal, we have establish the standard operation procedure. That means a direct SOP for international project management. This is very important for us, including how we can do the needs assessments, how uh, we identify the problem of the needs, and how we um, implement the project, how to do monitoring and evaluation. So for each of new projects for us, we need to follow this uh, SOP. And also for all of our new staff, they need to know how to run this um, SOP. So this is very important for me to make sure that our project can be successful and running it smoothly. For external, I think we have um, many of good counterparts, stakeholders, and including the public and the private sectors. So we established very um, firm of relationship with them so that we can mobilize the resources to conduct the project together to make sure that our project can be success. So I think the achievement for me, the two parts is very important. One is for our internet. We, have, we need to build up our capacity to make sure our project can be run very smoothly. And the other part is outside. So our counterpart, private sector, private sector, we need to make a very good relationship with them. And they are our likely and supporting for us to do the project. So this is, um, I think, quite important for me. And the Medical Mission Center has been established uh, exactly for more than 20 years right now. And to be yeah. exact, 22 years right now. And you mentioned that yeah. there has been about 
if your memory serves you right, about yeah. 150 projects. Yeah. And yeah. most importantly, you actually set up a mechanism. And this mechanism is the standard operating yeah. procedures yeah. where you can do the assessment, identify the problem, and mm. monitoring and do the evaluation and so on and so forth. So yeah. um, when setting up the, the mechanism, do you see any challenges? Um, I think of, for us, we are lucky. So when we, if we run the, the uh, mechanism um, very um, completely, actually our um, challenge is not so um, big like we're thinking about that. So for us, we are lucky that so far we don't have many of challenges we face when we run the project. I think the other very important of the um, issue is we really respect the local of regulation yeah, and the local actors. I think it is very important for us. So when we um, run that our project, we need to follow the re local regulation. For example, we need to apply the temporary permit before we start our medical works. Yeah. And um, our local uh, counterparts, including public or private sector, of course, including MOFA, they will help us to apply the um, like a temporary permit for us. And we will prepare every of document they needed. Sometimes the document is very complicated, but we still respect them. So we will prepare everything they needed and we apply the, um, the procedure. So when we get permits, actually, uh, and so far we think we, we are not much of difficult to get permits if we follow their regulations. Mm -hmm. And I think that the other thing is um, medical service is a best human right. Yeah, so it's not very related to the political. So we are not do like the political activity. So I think the local governments, they know that we do the Anti-Material Act, so they will support us. We, we don't want to involve too much of political issues. You're listening to Underline, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Nina Gao Xiaoling, CEO of Overseas Medical Mission Center of Changhua Christian Hospital in Taiwan. But do you think that, uh, you know, it's easy for you to get uh, the permit to serve in the country that you uh, like to help? Yeah, for me, if we follow the regulation, you know, um, we don't think this is very difficult to get a permit. Yeah, for example, we go to Papua New Guinea, and they are not any of diplomatic of the relationship with Taiwan. But we just follow what the document that needed, so we apply that one. So, so far, we, we run the project in Papua New Guinea since 2006 till now. For each, for every year, we can send our medical team to, to Papua New Guinea. We don't face any of the difficulties in the um, um, permit application. Mm -hmm. Even until today, you still send your uh, medical team to Papua New Guinea? Yeah, 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 so far. But, but this year, we cannot send anyone outside. <laughs> because of the coronavirus, yes. Yeah, yeah. Now, Dr. Nina Kao, what are some of the greatest things that are worth mentioning about the overseas medical mission of uh, Changhua Christian Hospital? In our hospital, yeah, 
that's including, of course, the medical side. It, and uh, we, we have overseas medical works for the, for the medical parts, and we also do the community program for, like, say, water or nutrition or whatever. And one of the very um, important things that we have one um, branches we call Yoni Question Hospital. So it is a green, clean, and small hospital. So the hospital, when they design um, construction and operation, they already put back a green, clean, and smart, the three elements of concept into the construction and design and even operation. So this is the hospital, the first one in Taiwan, also the first one in Asia. Yeah. So we have the um, professional knowledge in this field, including how to design, um, how to construction a small hospital. So we, this is also our strength. So we share this experience with like the um, South Asia country, particularly when the government, they, they run the new South Bank policy and South Christian Hospital um, is responsible in Thailand. So Thai is very uh, specific um, country in the Asian countries. I think that Thailand is almost the top in the Asian, in the Asian the, um, countries. So um, in Thai's national stretch, Thai 4.0 is quite important in the, in, in the future of 20 years. And in Thai 4.0, they are more focusing on smart healthcare. So our experience is, you know, can be shared with Thailand, and this is also their need. So that's why we run Thailand new a new southbound project. It's very, um, I didn't say it's easy, but I think this is a like a power for us. We can very closely uh, with Thai government and the Thai private sectors, including hospitals and the um, the other NGOs. So the smart um, healthcare um, hospitals, the experience can help us to implement the new South Bomb policy project in Thailand. So this is a very specific, in, um, not only that the, our medical service or our charity works. So this part is quite new for us. Now, that's because of the fact that Yunlin Hospital, actually a branch a hospital of Changhua Christian Hospital, already yeah. has experience in building the first smart green energy hospital in Taiwan. Smart health care has been promoted uh, for quite a long time. So that's why you share your experience and technology with Thailand's e-health yeah, Thailand. plan. Yes. yes. So working with Thailand, you mentioned that uh, the work has been smoother in a way because of uh, the experience that you have. And Thailand has been also promoting smart health care as well. Yeah, yeah Thai, you know, the uh, smart health care is Thailand's uh, national plan. So Thailand, they already put like the smart health care into their national development plan in the 10 years so um, in Taiwan, that's our strength. Not only the medical um, service, medical service. I think that in Taiwan, that's maybe top one in Asia. And IT is also one of the very strong parts in Taiwan. So Taiwan smart healthcare is very very strong part. Yeah. So this is uh, the the need of Thailand. They in, if they would like to to run that their Thai 4.0. So Thailand. Since um, 2018 and 2019, they send a lot of the uh, medical staff 
and government um, officials to Taiwan, particularly to our hospital, to Yuan Christian Hospital, to do the visiting, to do the study tour. Because they would like to know how the hospital run the small hospital, how they design this one. So they would like to have this experience and bring back to Thailand when they um, do a new of the healthcare system and then they build a new hospital, they would like to have this kind of experience to have them to do that. So we are also proud that because Taiwan has uh, one of the best healthcare systems in the world, and uh, we are also top-notch in technology. So that's why we can share our experience with our neighboring country, uh, Thailand. Yes. Yeah. I think not only Thailand, actually the other country like the Malaysia and the Philippines, they also, in Vietnam, they also think the smart healthcare is, they, they will put that in their um, national development policy. And that was the first part of our interview with Dr. Nina Kaoshaoling, CEO of Overseas Medical Mission Center of Changhua Christian Hospital in Taiwan. And that's it for this week's Underline, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Then goodbye. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6185 kHz. In South Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti at rti.org.tw.